The following audio is by Crossfield Baptist Church. More information about Crossfield Baptist Church is available online at www.crossfieldbaptist.com. Good morning, church family. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles to uh, and go to Hosea chapter 3. There's only five verses in Hosea 3. And you might be interested to know that James Montgomery Boyce, uh, a well-known pastor, commentator, feels that this is the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. So uh, we want to take a look at that. Hosea chapter 3, we're looking at what we're calling the romance of God. And I want to start it with uh, two, two, two true stories. Uh, two stories of a wife's adultery and her husband's response. And these are true stories. Um, the first story takes place when I was in seminary. I was a student, but I was also a leader in our local church. And uh, so I went with the pastor to a convention uh, on Vancouver Island near Victoria, or in Victoria, actually. And um, we, were, we arrived in the evening, got into our house, the billet house we were supposed to be in. And then um, we headed off on his motorcycle and we went to convention. And then we, we came back a little bit late. And as we turned onto the side street where this house was, there was a police car. And across the road was a tape and he wouldn't let us go any further. He stopped us and he explained that uh, a husband had gone away for working on the weekend, but had unexpectedly come back home and found his wife in bed with another man. And in a rage, he ran, grabbed his gun and chased the man as he tried to get out of the house. A neighbor heard uh, the man yell out twice, don't shoot, don't shoot. But a shot rang out and then another and the adultery scene had become a homicide scene. That's the first story. The second story is quite different. Uh, when I was quite a bit younger, I, um, my mom and dad mixed with another couple and their kids, and we got to know each other. And um, one of the things I, I'll call them Jack and Jill. Uh, one of the things I felt badly about for Jill was she was a diabetic and horror of horrors, she had to give herself a shot every day. And uh, we were surprised a few years later to find out that Jill had left Jack, hadn't found him exciting enough and had moved in with a common law partner. She left her husband, she left her kids and went to live with somebody more exciting. Now, Jack, once he got over the shock of it, the hurt of it, well, maybe he never got over the hurt of it, but he, he started to pray. He started to pray that Jill would come back to him someday. And he told people that. He believed that God was going to bring Jill back. So he prayed for a year, for two years, three, four, five years, ten years. Um, when I was now in seminary, or just shortly after that, um, I bumped into Jack. It had been at least 15 years, and in the conversation, Jack told me that he was still praying for Jill, that she would come back, and that he believed that God was going to bring her back someday. About 10 years later, I heard that Jill's common-law partner was dying of cancer, and that Jill was looking after him, but the plan was, when he died, she would move back with Jack, and that's exactly what happened. Now, by this time, her diabetes had the best of her. If I have my details right, she was bound to a wheelchair. She was pretty much, if not blind. 
And again, if I have my details right, just a few years later, she died. And Jack took care of her that whole time. One is a husband incensed and raged, and we can sympathize with that. The other is a husband who prayed for about 25 years for his adulterous wife to come back, and she did. And we can almost not relate to that. Now, in in the Bible, God compares his relationship to his people to a marriage. And um, he wants us to get this idea of the most intimate of relationships that is full of loyalty and faithfulness to each other. That's what God wants to portray through that, that he demands a covenant loyalty to his people. And other loves, if we have other loves, if we put other things ahead of God, ahead of our love for God, if anything else dictates and draws our love, then it's considered spiritual adultery in the Bible. And Hosea was a prophet sent to Israel about 750 years before Christ, who was sent to confront the spiritual adultery of the Israelites. And uh, it wasn't fun to be a prophet because usually that's what they were doing, confronting the sins of the people and being invited to come back to God. But Hosea's experience was uniquely painful because Hosea was called upon by God to make his very life a message to the people. That is, uh, he was going to portray through his marriage um, what the marriage of God was like to Israel. And he was going to illustrate God's love for Israel that way. And so we read, I want to give you some of the backstory to this. Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. So follow along if you don't mind. Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, not only was Gomer going to become an adulteress, she wasn't an adulteress, of course, before she was married. But God told Hosea, you're going to marry a woman. She will become an adulteress. But by the time we get to verses 6 to 9 of chapter 1, we read that she has had two more children, and neither of them belong to Hosea. Um, when the second of these is born, in fact, God tells Hosea to give him a name that signifies that, lo ami, meaning not my people, not his child, and the people are not God's people. And then we read in verses 4 and 5, I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. So Gomer is not only an adulteress, she ends up prostituting herself to many lovers, and she's an absolute disgrace as a wife, and yet she feels no shame. She keeps on doing it over and over and over. Now, through Hosea's experience, we are meant to see something. We are meant to see the dynamics of unfaithfulness to God and how God looks at it, but also the response of God to that. So we want to look at that. Now, just imagine then, 
This real-time experience with Hosea. Can you imagine him? He knows what's going to happen eventually. And you think of him the first time in the evening. He's uh, sitting on the couch watching TV, so to speak. And um, um, Gomer walks by. She's got makeup on. Her hair's done up. And she says, I have to go see a friend. I'll be back in a little bit. In the middle of the night, she comes back in and and Hosea is pretty sure he knows what's happening. And then it becomes more and more obvious, and eventually she leaves him entirely. In fact, it's probable that Hosea dismissed her and was no longer her husband. And so we read in chapter 2, verse 2, Hosea appealing to her children. So it's been some time that she's been doing this because her children are old enough to appeal to. And she says, he says to them in verse 2, Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. And so in Hosea's mind, the marriage is over. It's done. He's had enough. He does not want to husband her. He is like an incensed husband. He could take a stick to her. He's angry. He's portraying the feeling of a rejected God. That's what we're reading there. And then, unbelievably, there is this other side of God that comes out when it comes to his relationship to his people. He has a longing for them. He hasn't forgot them. He wants them. He's willing to forgive them, even in the most unfaithful behavior. And so contrary to what we might expect, he says in chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, these vineyards that he's taken away from Israel, these punishments that he's put upon the nation of Israel. He wants to give them all back to the nation of Israel. And so God is going to romance, he's going to court his unfaithful people, he's going to restore them, and even more, you read in verse 16, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, you will no longer call me my master. In other words, God is going to so win the hearts of his wayward people that they're going to become like a loving wife to him, totally devoted to their God, in love with him, wanting him only in their lives. And then we read in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 2, God saying, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and in compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. Now, to betroth someone is to become engaged to someone. In other words, God is going to remarry his people. Now, what this is saying is this. Uh, there's coming a day, God says, when Israel's heart will be wooed by God, won over to God, and she will respond to him like a wife who is in love, crazy about her husband. That's what God is saying is going to happen. And now we come to chapter 3, because God tells Hosea to reenact this 
in his own life with Gomer. That woman who had given him so much pain, that woman who had humiliated him in front of everybody, that woman who had depressed his soul with her contempt for him. Now he has to do that with her. And so we read in chapter three, verses one to three, these words. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, God is saying, I know exactly what she is. Now go show your love to her. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. And then we read something very interesting in verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not prostitute, be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. Now, what's happening here? What is this about? Well, what's happened is this. Gomer has been unfaithful for years. She has had children with other men, and her marriage to Hosea is over. He says, I am no longer your husband. And then Hosea buys her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. What's that about? And by the way, this is the equivalent, um, a total value of about 30 pieces of silver. And you read back in Exodus chapter 21, 32, that a common slave cost about 30 pieces of silver. In other words, Gomer has been reduced to the level of a slave. Now, how does that happen? And in Israel, there were only three ways for a free person to become a slave. First of all, they could become enslaved through conquest. Secondly, through birth, if they were born from slaves. But the third way was through debt. Now, Gomer and her countrymen had not been conquered by another nation, so it wasn't that. Certainly she wasn't born into a slave family, so it had to have been from debt. And so you begin to imagine what's happened to Gomer in real time, in her real life. And what's happened is this. Gomer has deserted her husband and her children to go after other lovers. And at first it has all the thrill of an illicit affair. It's so exciting. And then... Her affairs end badly, not the way she wanted, and she moved on to her next lover. And at some point here, Hosea sent her away, and Gomer's life begins to take a tumble downward. She goes from man to man, always hoping that she's discovered her Prince Charming that will turn her into a princess, but it never happens that way. She sinks lower and lower. She's going to more and more inferior men, poorer men, men who simply use her and then dump her. And because of this, money problems begin to follow her. And you can just imagine her clothing becoming shabbier, her food sources becoming more difficult to find, and poverty and debt are hounding her. She's living in a hovel, and she's uh, um, just dressed 
poorly. And she's desperate. She begins to sell herself in order to just get her basic food. And eventually, just to make ends meet, she takes a small loan. She becomes a debtor. But that loan becomes a bigger loan and a bigger debt. And she can't pay for it. She gets to this point where she's hopelessly in debt, and that's when the lender calls for her payment. He demands that he she pay him. And that's his right. And since she cannot pay the debt, she becomes his slave. And then he opts to sell her to get his money back. Now she finds herself in the marketplace about to be sold as a slave. Can, can you just imagine this distress, this humiliation, the shame and, and the desperation of Gomer? She's lost her freedom. She's lost her dignity. Her future is very uncertain. And she's completely bankrupt. She has nowhere to turn. She's trapped. She can't get away. Now, we know quite a bit about the sale of slaves back then because quite a bit's been written about it. For example, we know that slaves were sold in the marketplace stark naked. So just imagine Gomer lined up with other clothed people, waiting their turn on the auction block to be sold off. And she's afraid. This has never happened to her before. Her life is totally changed forever. And she's ashamed. And finally, her turn comes, and the auctioneer calls her up, and the guy pulls her up roughly. And then in front of everybody, they just pull off her clothing. And there she stands, stark naked, so everyone can take a good look at Gomer. How she has fallen, how disgraced she is. The men of the city size her up. And then the bidding starts. Uh, eight shekels, I'll give eight shekels. Nine shekels, nine shekels. Ten, ten shekels over here. Ten shekels, and, ten shekels and a bushel of barley. And then she hears a gruff voice. Eleven shekels, eleven shekels, bushel of barley. She looks up at the man and she is frightened. He looks like a rough character. And then, strangely, a familiar call, voice calls out. Twelve shekels. I'll pay twelve shekels. And Gomer is incredulous. She looks up and she sees the face of her husband, determined but sad. And then a bidding war ensues. The rough man and Hosea bidding back and forth. Thirteen shekels in a bushel. Fourteen shekels in a bushel. Fifteen shekels in a bushel, the rough character says. By now, Gomer doesn't know where to turn, but she knows she doesn't want to be with that man. And then Hosea says, 15 shekels, a bushel, and half a lethic. There's silence. And then the auctioneer says, sold, Hosea, come and get your slave. And as Hosea comes forward, to claim his new shave, slave, Gomer cowers in front of him. She's overcome. She doesn't know what to do or to say. She can't look him in the face. She doesn't know what to expect. Hosea is her master now. He could humiliate her. He could beat her. He could leave her in the worst of conditions. 
But Hosea walks up quietly. Gently, he covers her nakedness and her shame. And his first words to her are incredible. They're found in verse 3. You are to live with me. Not in the slave house. You are to live with me. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. In other words, you must be intimate with me. And I will live with you. Hosea was making Gomer his wife again. He says, don't call me master. Call me my husband instead. I mean, after all she'd done, she had had him in contempt. She didn't care about him. She even abandoned her children. And she'd done it over and over. And then when she felt worthless and utterly defeated and ashamed and unworthy, Hosea offers to love her again as if she'd never done anything wrong. Now, does God love like that? It's supposed to be a picture of God's love. And you know, we read in our Bibles, God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son. And I like that word so. I mean, what does it stand for? And I think it stands for what we see in Hosea 3. It's Hosea's story in John 3.16. In other words, just as God sent Hosea to purchase his wife, he sent his son to purchase us. The auctioneer says, what am I bid for this debtor? And Jesus replies, I, <laughs> I bid my blood. Now, the price paid for Gomer was the price of a common slave, about 30 pieces of silver. Do you remember what Judas received for betraying Jesus? 30 pieces of silver. And the auctioneer says, sold. He's yours, she's yours. And Jesus comes forward. He doesn't come in anger. He doesn't come for vengeance, but in tenderness. He clothes us and he covers our shame. And he says, you live with me from now on. It's a permanent relationship. You are not to be unfaithful. There's going to be fidelity from you. And I will live with you. I will be faithful to you. So I want to ask you, do you ever feel like Gomer? Do you ever feel like you don't deserve to be loved by God? You don't deserve to be his favorite. Do you ever feel that you have dropped the ball so often and so easily? You're in such debt with sin. You're ashamed. You don't feel you deserve God's affection and his esteem. And you remember that Jesus gave us only one ritual that we are supposed to practice on a regular basis. And that is the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper or what we call communion. And that communion is a reminder that he paid the price for our redemption with his blood. And he wants to remind us of that. Yesterday is forgotten. And today is a new start. So I just want to make five summary observations very quickly. 
The first one is this. God pursues a marriage-like love with us. It's really amazing. God is pursuing a marriage-like love, an intimate love, a closeness, a constancy, a mutual delight. He wants that kind of a relationship with us. And yet he knows our wayward hearts in advance before he chooses us, just as Hosea knew the waywardness of his future wife. And so nothing we do surprises God. He knew the worst about us before he chose to enter into a relationship with us so that nothing we do surprises him or quenches his determination to bless us. That's the first thing. God is pursuing you. He wants to be close. Here's the second thing. We are Gomer. Either the redeemed Gomer or the unredeemed Gomer before the redemption, but we are Gomer. And that's the point of the story. We are not good enough in ourselves. We must never put hope in the idea that we're good enough for God. And the third thing I want us to consider is that we are purchased as is at great cost. In other words, God takes us where we are at just as we are, and at great cost, and the cost is the death of Christ. He doesn't love us for what we have done. He loves us for what Christ has done. And then the fourth thing is this. We are now called to total devotion to God. He has to be our first love when we get up in the morning and when we go to bed at night. He's the one that we delight in. Nothing and no one is more important than him. He wants that kind of relationship with us. But here's the wonder of wonders. God is totally devoted to us. Do you believe that? I think that's one of the things that I am struggling the most to constantly believe. We, we might believe, oh yeah, God will forgive me, but then I have to kind of work my way up into that favored status. You know, he's forgiven me, but I need to work at it to get there. That he really truly delights in, it, in me. But notice that Gomer wasn't made to squirm, wasn't made to do penance, wasn't made to prove herself. She was instantly lifted up to wife status. That's what God wants us to believe. He wants to, us to believe that he is close to us, that he, he wants us to believe and have confidence in his love and in his favor, even when we don't deserve it. So I hope this morning, you can take that story, reflect on it, take it to heart, and live life confidently, no matter what the future looks like, that God pursues you. And based on Christ, he delights in you and calls you to love him. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio by Crossfield Baptist Church. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. More information about Crossfield Baptist Church is available online at www.crossfieldbaptist.com.